Welcome, X-Fans and X-Fanettes, to The Danger Room, the uncanny X-Men podcast for gentlemen and ladies alike. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we're here to discuss the uncanny X-Men number 117, the January 1979 issue, which was on sale October 17th of 1978, and it is titled, Psy War! Mm-hmm. This one promises to have the saga of Professor X, a new beginning, and the end? Ba, ba, ba. So the saga of Professor X, huh? What do you think that means? More Lucifer? Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, okay, so this uh, is a Cockrum Austin cover. So Cockrum has taken the cover reins away from John Byrne, who'd been screwing it up this whole time, I imagine. I'll say. <laughs> and the cover is a giant... You know what he looks like? He looks like a thirsty. Do you remember what the thirsties were from uh, Kool-Aid? Kool-Aid <laughs> no. Man? Oh, well, Google it sometime. Thirsties were like these big yellow guys with red mouths that would chase around kids, and then Kool-Aid Man would burst in and give everybody Kool-Aid, and that would be him fending off the thirsties. Would he say, oh, yeah? Well, of course he would say, oh, yeah, and then he would uh, defeat the thirsties. Hmm. Yeah, I've got this awesome Kool-Aid Man comic book. It's just, it's it's so cool. It's awesome. <laughs> Why are we doing a podcast on that? You know, I should totally, I should scan it in and we should just randomly do like Kool-Aid Man. Everyone's expecting like X-Men 140, 141 and we give them Kool-Aid Man instead. That'd be awesome. And you then, heard it here first, fans. It's coming. <laughs> and then he says, oh, yeah. <laughs> and the thirsties run away. There's like Kool-Aid Man uh, plays baseball with the kids. Kool-Aid Man goes to space with the kids. And I can't remember what the third story is, but their thirsties battle them each time. I feel like this is an extreme close-up of that um, guy that hung out with Jabba the Hutt. Oh, uh, Salacious Crumb. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Kind of. He's kind got of this... reminds me of that. It's very Muppety. He's got that the uh, the mouth. Although didn't Salacious Crumb have like a slight beak? Yeah, like a beaky nose. But no, you never know. I mean, there's a lot of shading going on in this guy's nose, so it, it could be him. So this fiery, beasty, thirsty man is crushing in his one single hand the professor of of the X. Yes, who's naked? He is. Well, he could be wearing shorts. And intermixed, and this will really have nothing to do with the story that we go through here, <laughs> you have the heads of Cyclops, Storm, and Nightcrawler. To remind you that this is an X-Men comic book, it is featuring some of the <laughs> main X-Men characters. Yep, no Banshee, no Wolverine, no Colossus, no Jean Grey. None of them, just just these three for some reason. Actually, no reason whatsoever. They really don't need to be here, but I just <laughs> I guess they just needed to make sure they were like, oh, we better we better hit up some of the characters that everybody remembers. Maybe somebody was like, um, you got some empty space up there. Can you could you put something in there? All I see is flames underneath the X Men logo. And uh, he's like, all right, put some heads in there. Or do you think the cover was drawn before the story was written? Who knows? I don't know. Well. Anyways, let's open this thing up. Uh, it is a Chris Claremont and John Byrne joint uh, inked by Terry Austin with letters by Clem Robbins, a, a new addition to the team. 
Glennis Ween is on colors. Roger Stern is editing. And Jim Shooter is the editor-in-chief. And the X-Men, as we discovered at the end of the last issue, are in the middle of a storm. It's actually like a second after the last issue ends, basically. There was a big storm in the last issue, and there's a big storm in this issue. The only difference is we kind of get a close-up of the X-Men who are on their little homemade raft. How do you know it's a second later? Well, I don't know. I just looked at the last panel, and it's them in a big storm going up a wave, and... You open this book and they're in a raft going up. Okay, fine. It could be a minute later. I think it's, I think it's a long. I think it's been an hour. Oh, okay. An, an hour and twenty four minutes. Oh, because uh, Colossus says, "Will this storm never end?" As though they've been in the storm for a while. Now, ah, okay, fine, fine. And to the Russian, it's like an hour and twenty four minutes is an eternity, right? Exactly. It took him that long to feel like the storm was going to never end. Wolverine is asking uh, Colossus to count his blessing because this is summer, and in midwinter, the water's really rough. Because Wolverine's been there. Of course. Of course he has. This is nothing. No. Cripes, if only there was something we could do, he says. They spend a long time trying to figure out, is there anything anybody can do? Banshee's scream doesn't work very well. Wolverine then says, Hey, what about Storm Storm Controls? She could use her powers to control the weather, right? What do you think I've been doing? Or, I guess that's that's a woman. (laughs) What do you think I've been doing, Wolverine? You little bitch. (laughs) Even my powers have their limits. But, sir. (laughs) She says that she passed her the limits of her powers a long time ago. Uh, But wait. She has seen something on the horizon. Goddess be praised. It's a ship. Uh, And the captain of this ship says there's no doubt. They have positive contact and radar and a visual of a small craft and some survivors. They make quick work of rescuing the X-Men. And uh, it turns out that they are a Japanese crew uh, headed by Captain Hama, which I wonder if that's a reference to Larry Hama. Isn't Larry Hama Hama or Hama, doesn't he have two M's in his name? No. No, it's just one? Just one. Huh. I wonder if Larry Hama's actually written, or Hama, 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 is writing at this time. Uh, Let's see. G.I. Joe's not out yet. I mean, G.I. Joe's like 81 or 82. Right. So I bet he is. I bet he's out there. He's probably writing something. Uh, This mission that this uh, crew is on is a top secret mission, by the way. Cyclops explains to the crew that they are the X-Men and they need to make contact, but uh, Captain Hama cuts him off and says, I'm sorry, we're on a top-secret mission, as you pointed out, and uh, you, we can't contact anybody, but you can, you, have to, you, can, you can ride with us until we get to Japan and then you can do what you got to do. Yes, Captain Hama was advised by his first mate or somebody that maybe they shouldn't take on these people because of the top-secret nature of their mission. But Captain Hama here says uh, that he obeys the law of the sea. So, yeah. I don't know. So he's a, he's a man of the sea. Also, when Cyclops introduces him and his friends as the X-Men, I'd like to point out that in this telling of the story, the captain just looks on blankly and doesn't say anything. I noticed that. <laughs> he, 
he may say something in a alternate reality. That's what we should refer to classic X-Men as. It's an alternate reality. Okay. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. And, and maybe you already drew those conclusions long ago, but that's, that's what we're going to do from here on out. So anyways, we flash over 6,000 miles due north to the Westchester Mansion. And Where Jean Grey is saying her goodbyes and leaving the mansion for good. Yep. She has to Again. deal with the fact that Scott and the X-Men are dead. I, I think that she's actually going to go back to college, finish off, and get her degree. Or she's going to move in with Misty Knight again. Who who was the guy? Ted Roberts. She's going to she's gonna pick up where that left off. Wasn't yeah. that Ted Roberts, the brother of the Cobalt Man or something? I don't remember. No. <laughs> Adam. We're supposed to be experts on all of the stuff that we've read at this point. <laughs> Gosh. You're losing geek cred. <laughs> I have no geek cred. It's true. <laughs> so she uh, gives uh, Lilandra a final embrace, and a uh, part of her feels that a door has closed on a portion of her life, perhaps forever. And she's she she uh, drops a solitary tear as she walks out the door, and mm-hmm. Lilandra waves goodbye. Mm-hmm. Lindra is very sad. Uh, she is too young to have such desolation in her eyes. She feels a little bad, too, but she feels really bad for Charles Xavier. But, boy, she'd like to make him some coffee. Oh, well, since it's the last time we're going to see Jean, it's only fitting that we do this. <clears throat> My taxi's waiting! I better get a move on! This isn't the last time we'll see Jean. As far as we know, the comic book reader... Oh, okay. <laughs> Plus, it just gave me an excuse to do the Jean voice. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, she goes to make some coffee. And she talks about how primitive this this place is. Uh, but it's good that she can metabolize the food. Uh, otherwise, she'd really be in trouble. Charles has been withdrawing himself more and more these past few weeks. He spends all his time in his study staring into the fire. <laughs> He's... <laughs> oh, wait, what? He's not taking the death of the X-Men well. Oh, he's not sleeping? I, I don't think so. I mean, maybe. <laughs> okay. So she comes in with uh, the bagel things with cream cheese and smoked salmon. She tells us that she snuck a bite, and they are very good. I'm not hungry, says the professor. <laughs> in his best Wolverine voice. <laughs> Uh, all things die, Charles, and not always at the time or in the manner of our choosing. I know, but I keep thinking if I'd never formed the X-Men, if only I'd let them live their lives in peace. I keep going back to the beginning. But nicely here we get a little graduation photo from way back in like X-Men number five, I think it was, or four or five when they graduated. Mm-hmm. And uh, then a picture of the new X-Men, which I don't think we ever actually saw the taking of that photo, but... It's there, too. And then the professor decides now would be a good time to go into a flashback. Flashback. And so he uh, he does. He does that. He goes into a flashback. Uh, we get a full-page spread of his head with several images from his past as he is falling in love with Moira McTaggart 
goes off to war in Korea. Mm, I think so, yep. And um, she sends him a letter. Wait a minute Telling him that she's breaking off their engagement and returning to Scotland and don't follow her. Mm -hmm. He goes a little crazy, he says, and becomes a nomad and discovers the island that we he showed us a couple couple of issues ago Kiranos. Kiranos. the and uh connects with the people the people there needed his help and in return they gave him the care and love he needed to burn the psychic poison out of his system some sort of hippie community sure they dropped a lot of acid the help they needed was just like he's a white man that has connections <laughs> These are not drugs in my pocket. <laughs> so anyways, he eventually finds his way to Cairo, and he was uh, just hanging around, uh, kind of putting his uh, genetic research on mutations on hold. He had some money, so whatever. He's just kind of living it up. And uh, when he gets pickpocketed by a little orphan child. I want to say that the, in the second panel, there's these two Egyptian folks, I guess, maybe in the foreground. But the man, isn't that like Al-Jabbar or whatever, the Storm's teacher that took her in? It's certainly a possibility, but I don't know. Mm, okay. I don't know. They they just put him in the forefront and colored him so detailed, like it seems like it's supposed to be a callback to something, but, but maybe not. But yeah, he, he does get pickpocketed by small... Feather light fingers, and uh, we recognize her, of course, as a very young Aurora. She looks to be about six years old. Something like that, sure. And uh, so a chase ensues. She's chased, or, uh, the professor is chasing this little girl. Uh, she loses him. He catches up to her and eventually puts her in. She stops her. He stops her with a uh, gentle force bolt. Which completely freezes her. Yeah. And he's able to get his wallet back when he is suddenly attacked by a mental blast, which allows Storm to escape uh, and smashes him down to the ground. It's a psychic bolt. It's somewhere at this point that he realizes that this is the same girl that he uh, found in Africa uh, who would become Storm. So he knows that this is Storm and their paths have crossed before. Because he recognized her latent mutant ability. Um, yeah. It wasn't until I sought my new X-Men years later that I realized my little pickpocket was Storm. There you go. He's got a good memory. So he uh, he's on the ground. He's never really encountered such raw power before uh, or such malevolence. So he finds... Also known as malevolence. M- 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 what did I say? You said malevolence. Oh. Malevolence? Malevolence? Malevolence. Hmm. Which way is right? The way that I'm saying it. <laughs> no. <laughs> the way I'm saying it. All right, it's probably the way you're saying it. <laughs> Anyways, he, he, he tracks down the uh, emanations of the psychic or psionic nexus, I guess. And it turns out it's in a nearby saloon. So he goes in. Um, and immediately he realizes that somebody in this bar is the person who attacked him, but he doesn't see this person. He just knows they're somewhere nearby. So he flash probes everyone in the room, which sounds kind of sexy. 
And I uh, wanted to see what kind of underwear they were working. You see, <laughs> I was a little crazy, young, and had some money. <laughs> and he uh, he decides to wait at the table. And it doesn't take long before the king of the Shriners comes out. <laughs> oh, just a big man in a purple fez. And uh, instantly as their eyes meet, which is weird because he's wearing little dark sunglasses. But anyways, instantly as their eyes meet, the gauntlets were thrown down. Without a word, they were bitter enemies. It's true. And so they begin to psychically talk to each other. And we find out that the big man who's receiving help sitting down and moving around from a couple of ladies is named Amal Farouk. He rules the Thieves' Quarter. And he would like to know who this new stranger is. He recognizes Charles Xavier as somewhat of an equal with his mental powers and offers the... He welcomes him to his abode and offers him to partake in any of the delights he has to offer. I'm guessing it's sexy related. I'm thinking so, yeah. He's got all these women surrounding him, we should mention. So, yeah, it is probably... It is probably an offer to use one of these women. Sexy time. But he's not interested because the professor's a stand-up guy. Yeah, he's, he's you know, he's he's got ethics. Yeah. But he's got morals. He's, so El, El, Amal Farouk, Amal Farouk, he, uh, he's like, that's cool. You know, you don't know what you're missing out, but uh, we're kindred spirits. How about you join me and uh, we'll, we'll, I don't know, we'll, He'll show you pleasure and power beyond his wildest imaginings. The professor's like, no, I'm not <laughs> going to do that because, nah. uh, like, that's mean to people. He points and out that... As he, the, you know, what does the lion concern himself with the feelings of his prey? He takes what is his by right, as do I. Many have tried to stop me. All have lived to regret it. The professor tries to impart a moral lesson on him, saying that they're mutants, telepaths, and they have a responsibility to use their powers for the benefit of their fellow man. And that's when Professor drops everything and says, I swear I will not rest until you're brought to justice for your crimes. Which seems like it's a bit of jumping the gun, but I'll give the professor credit. He is a telepath. Yeah, who uh, appointed him judge, jury, and executioner is what I want to know. Maybe he went into Farouk's mind and saw some pretty awful things. I don't know. It, it, it does seem like it's jumping the gun. But yeah. So the professor, as we haven't seen in quite a while, gets up out of his body and into his astral form. and uh, In which he's naked and wienerless. I know. I, you know, if I was going to project myself in astral form, oh my God. It, it would be twice as long as my leg just hanging <laughs> there. And I'd be like, you want to fight? And Farouk would be like, oh, my God, you win. I'm sorry. <laughs> he's like a Ken doll without hair. <laughs> Pretty much. So Farouk, he's got also a, uh, instead of being a big fat man, he is a bald, muscly large man, also wienerless. So uh, he, that's his form. And uh, El, or, um, Amal Farouk, I'm going to keep getting that wrong. Uh, Farouk creates kind of this platform in space with a bunch of planets surrounding them and that's where they're going to do their fight that's going to be his representation of the astral uh, plane most impressive is it not 
It is, but why bother? Is he really so powerful that he can waste psi energy on glorified special effects? So, uh, the professor also admits that uh, he's he's scared. This is just like his first night patrol in Korea. Uh, the worst thing about it was the suspense. Um, Farouk immediately makes a sword appear in his hand and a suit of armor uh, about his body and attacks. Uh, the professor, unprepared, dives out of the way, but uh, then immediately retaliates by... Uh, creating his own suit of armor. Mm-hmm. Um, Farouk's suit of armor is like a samurai, whereas the professor's seems to be like some sort of French conquistador. Uh, yeah, or yeah, Spanish conquistador rather. Yeah. So they fight. They fight. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of psychic battling going on, and a lot of uh, babbling. And, and bluster happening here. Oh, you think you're strong? Well, I'm, like, really strong. Oh, yeah? Well, you think you're strong? Well, yeah. So the Farouk guy, he slashes the professor with a psionic sword, which, a la Freddy Krueger, bleeds over into the real world, and the back of his shirt is scorched, which I kind of have a problem with. Why is that? Well, this is all happening psychically, and I think there was a line dropped earlier about whatever happens in this psychic bottle will affect your real life. If you die here, you will be in agony forever, but your body will be dead. So I can accept that like any pain that you receive uh, in this psychic battle would affect your physical form, but like he literally like charred the back of his shirt. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. He's not magic. Well, maybe he charred his back, and it's actually the shirt is just taking off the uh, since it's so close to his back, it's just getting the the heat from the skin and yeah, the but, flesh. So the way I imagine this whole power working is that you're in the brain. The brain controls all of you, like a hundred percent of your actions, and, and is a very powerful portion of your body can make you sick it can make you happy it can make you sad whatever so i can accept that like if i tell your brain to like uh make it feel like your hand is on fire your hand will feel on fire but i can't physically make your hand start on fire i don't know i've never (laughs) psychically battled anyone well i'm throwing the gauntlet down adam we're gonna have a psychic fight tonight right after this podcast (laughs) and i'm gonna show you that while it's gonna hurt like hell your body won't be damaged at the end no no okay (laughs) i look forward to that okay it's when you least expect it probably when you're dreaming okay that'll be me psychically battling you sweet (laughs) all right well moving on so they keep fighting uh farouk now turns into the fire demon from the cover, but this fire demon is green and not really fiery. Yeah, it's if you color him a completely different color, it's all of a sudden not fiery at all. Yeah, he's more lizard-like than anything, and he's missing half of his mouth in the second panel. Well, I think that's just like a shading kind of thing. It's, yeah. it's like a neat little artistic detail. Yeah, I guess. And then the big giant... Um, Lizard thing picks up the professor. The professor makes his body all stiff. Well, the professor loses his armor and realizes that he's been trying to match Farouk's skill at illusion 
when in fact that's not what he should be doing. He should be trying to see through all that and just match his power. And so that's what he does. When the when Farouk grabs him, he uh, he just kind of ignores it and concentrates. And through his concentration, well, Farouk is concentrating on destroying the illusion of the body. He concentrates on focusing his mutant power into a beam of incredible strength, which he shoots into Farouk's brain like a laser and uh, ends the battle, destroy, uh, defeating Farouk, which, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm kind of have mixed feelings about that. It, it's kind of gibberish, and, yeah. but at the same time, it's, it's, it's a neat idea that they had a psychic battle and the professor won. Yeah. So I, mean, I get what they're what they're going for. In the bar here, we get a, an effect that they don't really use too much until like you know the mid two thousands, which is three panels which are essentially identical. But the first panel shows Farouk and the professor staring at each other. The second panel shows the professor standing up and Farouk falling to his face. And then the third panel shows the professor walking out the door and then all the girls checking on Farouk. So, you know, just just a pacing set of panels. I like it a lot. I uh, think it's really cool. I do too. And it's a fact that they uh, almost overused today, but I think seldom used back then. I also like the idea that there these two guys are just sitting at the bar and then or at separate tables and then one of them just falls over and no one has any idea that the other one has anything to do with it. It's yeah, it's neat. It's, yeah. it's well executed. Good job, John Byrne and Chris Claremont. This is the best portion of the entire comic book. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> so the professor goes out. He's he's uh, rubbing his sore, burnt back, and he he he. he uh, I was in his mind when he died. It was a guy like guided. It was like a guided tour of hell. Uh, Hades. No, actually, this is going to stay hell. Oh, is it? Believe wow. it or not, I, I have no idea. Uh, but there's another line change that, that we'll, we'll cover later. I'm, I know about that one. Okay. Uh, and then the professor goes on here and basically says that, yeah, uh, Farouk, while his body died, like his soul or whatever is entangled now into like a never-ending infinite agony. Which, that sucks. He says that um, Farouk was the first evil mutant he ever met. But wouldn't that be Juggernaut? Well, the Juggernaut's not a mutant. Oh, that's right. He's he's magical. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So there you go. And uh, it was the first. He was the first who made him realize now how truly deadly mutant powers could be in the wrong hands. Which I don't know. Has he met Magneto yet? Well, we don't we don't know that. I mean, at this point, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I suppose you're right. So the professor tells this long-winded story about the whole Farouk thing, and then he's like. And then I left, and I found the X-Men, and I put the X-Men... Well, actually, from Cairo, I moved east to Tibet. Then I fought Lucifer, lost my legs, formed the X-Men, then the new X-Men, and here I am. (laughs) Yeah, I guess, you know... I've already told you that story, though. (laughs) But that's a story for another day. And then Lilandra says, basically, there's nothing here for you. Your students have left, or they're dead. (laughs) So you might as well join me. In the Kree Empire, or whatever, what is she? She's a Shi'ar. Shi'ar. The Shi'ar Empire. And, uh, she she so, offers her heart, her soul, her life, and her empire. Which is pretty cool. I mean, the professor at first, he's like, 
Leave Earth? I can't. Why and not? Wants uh, to keep says, you. I love you, Charles. I want you to be with me. I love you too, Lilandra. I guess I'll go with you wherever that may lead me. Oh, the professor's going to leave Earth. I'm so sad. Okay, well, anyways, uh, meanwhile, Gene is at the <laughs> airport, and uh, we also hear a boarding announcement for Tokyo. And we Indeed. and it turns out that um, she, I don't know where Jean's going, but she's not going to Tokyo. But she bumps into Misty Knight, who is going to Tokyo, and they kind of uh, make their acquaintances. But Jean asks Misty to go get a coffee because she needs somebody to talk to about all the stuff that's been going on. But Misty can't, so she, she takes off. Misty is on the way to Tokyo. Right. Yes. She's got Misty to help is... Colleen out uh, uh, with a job in Tokyo. And Colleen is, uh, what, Iron Fist's friend or girlfriend? Something like that. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> give my love to Scott, huh? Be seeing you. And that's Gene says, sure. Sure. She can't qu- quite bring it herself to tell her since Misty's in a hurry and all. Barely a half hour later, later, Misty's flight is airborne, the big 747 heading west into the setting sun. As it fades from sight, Jean Grey suddenly finds herself shivering, and she realizes with a start that for the first time since joining the X-Men, she's on her own, with no one to turn to or depend upon, save herself. And that scares the Hades out of her. <laughs> Next issue, The Submergence of Japan. They're going to submerge. Well, that sounds like a snoozer. They're going to submerge Japan? I guess so. <laughs> Weird. Um yeah, so that's uh that's a fun issue. Yeah, it feels like a filler. <laughs> um yeah, I guess I would agree with that. Nothing I mean, nothing really it was a decent filler. Nothing really happened. I mean, I guess you got a little bit more origin of the professor. This is like the third origin story that we've we've gotten of him. But I mean, I guess there's many points in his life. So yeah, this is not going to be the last origin of the <laughs> professor either. It will not be. He's got a lot of life to tell. Yeah. So we, um, yeah. So I, I thought that was a filler and a boring issue. <laughs> Hence why it only <laughs> took us like 35 minutes to get through it. Uh, but we got it email from michelle mohan and she writes hey i know it was a while ago you asked about this in giant Size x-men number one episode eh she's from canada <laughs> <laughs> but i'm just getting caught up with your podcast anyway the tv show mutant x was originally meant to be west coast x-men team you can tell it was marvel related because the list of series creators is avi Ared, chief creative officer of marvel entertainment eh During the planning stages, however, things broke down and they couldn't get Fox to agree to let them use any established Marvel characters or ideas. So it became about people who were genetically altered to have powers and a low budget. Canadian special effects. Thanks, eh, Michelle? (laughs) She also left us uh, on the, on the, the, the blog or whatever you want to call it, a idea for a fastball special. Uh, a Canadian alcohol, she says, would be uh, rye whiskey, eh? Oh. And um, she says a fastball special might be one part Canadian club rye, one part coffee liqueur, and float homogenized milk. It will be on issue number 95 or 96? 96. 
I'm all over the place here. How did I miss that comment? Where do I get Canadian club rye? And what is float? Oh, float homogenized milk. That probably means to just pour a little bit of homogenized milk on top. That's what I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah, I guess I've not I've not heard that term before. Adam, we we should do that. I know. <laughs> I uh, I wish we had more time. I would have loved to have gotten the materials together for this podcast and and be drinking that. But we'll have to do that in the future sometime. One part Canadian club rye, one part Canadian liqueur. So like, if I have an eight ounce glass well, coffee liqueur, I'm not sorry, Canadian liqueur. Co- that would be awesome if there was a Canadian <laughs> liqueur. It, what is it made out of? It's made out of Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if I have an eight ounce gla- eight ounce glass, is it literally like? Four ounces of each and then some milk on top? Well, I guess it would be three ounces of each and then some milk on top. Does the milk have to be homogenized? Most milk is homogenized, at least in the United States. We could get some fresh cow milk. Yeah. That would probably make us <laughs> sick. It's not bad for you, but generally our intestines can't handle it. I was at a farm and I learned that once. I'm just wondering why she specifies homogenized. Maybe it's a thing in Canada where like some milk yeah. isn't homogenized and some milk is. Maybe maybe it is a thing. Maybe we could get some non-homogenized milk in Canada. You can get non-homogenized uh, milk in the United States. You just have to pay a bundle for it and get it at the co-op. Really? But she specifically called for homogenized milk, so I think that's the direction we got to go. So I'm gonna. So it basically, we just need Kahlua, and I got to figure out what Canadian Club Rye is. So that'll be fun. Well, no, there's no Kahlua in this. Well, that's what Our... coffee liqueur is. Oh, it is. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did we already go over that before? We did. <laughs> Two weeks ago. <laughs> All right. So, folks, if you want to check out that recipe, just head on over to www.xmenpodcast.com. That particular recipe is under Danger Room number 96. Uh, try it. Uh, we'll yeah, try, try it. Try it and let us know what you think. Post a, post a reply to Michelle, uh, either on the webpage there, uh, or you can post uh, something out on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. Uh, you could tweet us at uh, Danger Room Go. And uh, also, we're loving the comments and uh, feedback that are uh, the uh, ratings that we're getting at the iTunes page. So open up iTunes, type in Danger Room, and we'll come right up onto the podcast. You can click on us. You can leave us a comment. You can rate us. I think we're at 44 over there. No, we're actually at 45, and we got our first negative uh, review. Get the heck out of here. You didn't know? I, no, I I didn't. I thought you were referring to it earlier. I wasn't. Oh, man. What, what what was my reference? How did I refer to? You referred to it as how I was supposed to be an expert. Oh, no, I wasn't. That was just a, a good luck uh, comment, I suppose. Wow, that's amazing. What does it say? It is a two-star review. Oh, my God. Two stars? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. It is by Craig RM72, who says... Uh, the subject is not very familiar with the source material. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I don't hate this podcast, but I feel that if you're going to do an X-Men comics podcast, you should be familiar with the X-Men. Okay, fair enough. Adam and Jeremy often catch themselves wondering who certain characters are or where their first appearances were. I'm talking common comics book facts that everyone knows. I am amazed at how much they get wrong. If they don't know these things, it's fine, but it makes for an often aggravating podcast as I find myself 
yelling at my iPod every time they get something wrong. They seem like perfectly nice guys, but not real X-Men fans. Well, I like revisiting old issues. I wish the hosts were just a bit more clued in. Just my opinion. Do you see where it says, was this review helpful? I'm clicking no. (laughs) (laughs) That review is not helpful. I'm going to be honest, Um, Craig RM72. Um, You're wrong. Yeah, I think it's kind of uh, silly to say that we're not X-Men fans. I mean, this is the 99th episode we've done of an X-Men podcast. But um, yeah, we're definitely not experts. I've never never claimed to be an expert. Um, My credentials is simply having read probably the first 350 issues of the X-Men. At least once. It gets hard to no. keep all that stuff keep kept track, you know. But but I get no, it. I get it. You know, reading through it like the second time this time. So it's only my second time through. So I guess I'm not qualified as an expert, but I'm definitely a fan. And as far as things that we've gotten wrong, I I kind of want to know what you're talking about. I would like to know what these common comic book facts are that everyone knows that we've gotten wrong. That's what I would like to know. What what are those? Because I'm pretty sure we've got those down. We we may not know exactly when Misty Knight first appeared, or when Iron Fist originally appeared, or um, oh, what issue uh, Spider Man originally appeared in the X Men. Even though we covered it, it gets kind of hazy as to what issues those particular are in. But we know it happened. Uh, yeah, stuff like that. So so stop listening, Craig Arum. You're you're disinvited from the party. <laughs> Well, I won't go far as saying that. I mean, we're we're here to have fun, and if you don't if you don't respect that, then you know there's nothing we can do about that. <laughs> you are uh, allowed to have your opinion. Um, I highly recommend that you do go listen to Eggs Aspirations. Oh, those guys know what they're talking about. They do. Those guys definitely know what they're talking about. They uh, they do their super amounts of research, and um, they're not as funny as us. <laughs> But uh <laughs> yes, so if that's your thing, go go check them out. But uh but definitely. Not to not to put them down. I mean, they they definitely put their time in and their homework. Oh yeah, they they they're uh they're only a couple episodes behind us. They're like on 92 or 93 or something. So they are just as dedicated fans as mm-hmm. we are. Probably better fans though. Well, they're they're more experts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let's move on to the um, alternate. Now I'm angry. <laughs> uh, it's good to have a little bit of diversity in uh, the. You know what? It's like yeah. a. It's like in a comic book. All um, oh, right. I don't think we're legit until we get a negative comment. All right, so we're legit. Thank you, Craig RM, for making us legit, and you're welcome to continue listening. But give us examples. Go to the Facebook and be like, "You got this wrong." Yeah, let it, let us know. I mean, it, as nit, as nitpicky as we are, nobody's nitpicked us, and I'm I know that we've made a lot of. I've been listening to the podcast back sometimes, and I'm like, ooh, that's wrong. <laughs> so you know, sometimes as you're talking, you, you know, but then on on playback, you're like, yep, that's wrong. That was wrong. So also, if you could send us a video of you yelling at your iPod, I would actually like to see that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> All right, so let's jump into the alternate reality that is classic X-Men number 23. And uh thankfully they are starting to replace some of the uh new pages with pinups. Yes, giving us less to talk about. <laughs> yes. So the cover of this one basically uh, is the psychic battle of the samurai Farouk and um um 
conquistador professor. And yeah, it's not, it's not bad. Yeah. The professor looks a little scared behind his little conquistador mask, but yeah. <laughs> otherwise it's a, it's, a, it's a good cover. We open it up and we get a, another uh, Art Adams uh, picture of Farouk and the Professor. I think Farouk looks pretty cool here, but I think the Professor looks a little goofy, a little cartoony. Yeah, there's a style of faces that, I mean, a lot of artists have styles of faces that they will sometimes go back to. Mm-hmm. And this feels like this is an Art Adams style face that doesn't really work very well for the Professor. Yeah. Also, uh, a change in this particular classic X-Men is we no longer are given the page numbers of the changes uh, or, you know, where the stories begin and end, which yeah, so used to. We actually had to figure it out ourselves. <laughs> yeah, this, this, took some, this took some work. But we're joined here. First, we're joined by Kieran Dwyer as the extra artist for the, for the supplemental pages. Uh, and then, of course, John Bolton uh, in the, the backup story. As you mentioned previously, the very first change comes on page three when Captain Hama is told that by Cyclops that my friends and I are the X-Men. And he says, I've heard of you. Yep. Just to, you know, I don't know, clarify something, I guess. Cyclops says, it's important we contact. And that's when we go back into the the regular dialogue here. So for some reason, uh, Chris Claremont just decided that like, well... We need to add some dialogue here. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. It's just one of those things of over-complicating things to make sure that... It's not to- It's not totally weird that the... I mean, originally when, when the ship picks up the X-Men, they're like, oh, look at their costumes. They might be S.H.I.E.L.D. or the Avengers. And, and so when he introduces them as the X-Men, maybe it's the captain being like, oh, okay, I've heard of you guys. It's cool. It's cool. You're not just crazy whack jobs in costumes in the middle of the Arctic Ocean. It's true. Yeah. There's probably some other dialogue-y changes, but I didn't really find them. Did you? Uh, just the other one that we kind of mentioned. Um, yeah, obviously. That, uh, or, uh, on, the very, on the very last page, page 17, uh, Jean no longer is scared to the depths of hell. No, it, um, she is now scared to the depths of her soul. Did it say it scared her to the depths of hell, or did it say it scared the hell out of her? It scared the hell out of her. So yeah. now, now instead of having this hell scared out of her, she is scared to the depths of her soul. Right. Which is weird because uh, it was either like somebody didn't see it, or the line about "I touched his mind as he died." It was like a guided tour of hell. Like that's okay, but I know that other references. Figure out how to change it. <laughs> well, guided tour of Hades or of of torment that just or silly. <laughs> anytime they change it, it sounds silly. But I just I don't think it's the fact that they couldn't figure out what to change it to. I guess maybe referring to hell as a place is a fine rather than having the hell scared out of you. Or but I, no, they've changed that too. I mean, they've been really fairly consistent about getting rid of hell no matter what. Right. This is the but, first classic X-Men I'm thinking that actually contains the the hell word in it, I think. I'm sure Craig RM could correct us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but so, so the what, a- would you, what would you have said instead? It was like a guided tour of a really really bad place. Um I they've rewritten it before. I touched his mind 
as he died, it was like a guided tour of of torture. Gilgamesh. <laughs> it was Which is a person, but whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it was torture. It was like torture. I don't know. So our next one is page uh, 18. We add an additional new page where Wolverine is brooding over his photo of Jean Grey from the early Iron Fist issue that he had. And the rest of the X-Men are training. He says that as a leader, Wolverine uh, can't deny a grudging respect for Cyclops. But for Scott Summers, the man, dot, dot, dot. He doesn't like the fact that Scott Summers doesn't seem to feel anything for Jean Grey or having lost Jean Grey. Mm-hmm. The prof- or, uh, Nightcrawler and Colossus are playing a game. I guess uh, Cyclops is actually training them on the deck of this boat. Mm-hmm. Nightcrawler teleports above Wolverine and says, think fast. And that's when Wolverine grabs him by the neck. Um, Nightcrawler's like, oh, Wolverine, mein Gott. Comrade, relax. This is only an exercise. We are only playing. Sorry, I was thinking about someone else. Well, whoever that poor soul is, if he has any indication of how you feel, Evan, help him. And that's when Scott Summers wets himself. <laughs> Cyclops says, or a storm comes in and says, Cyclops, I've just informed the captain. I sense a storm coming, a bad one. And Cyclops says, in some way, storm. Or Aurora, it's already here. And he's looking at something that we can't see. Well, he's looking at Wolverine. Cause, Is he? Well, he's in the previous panel, he's looking at Wolverine. Yeah. So, I don't know, is he referring to Wolverine? No, I. well, I mean, that's the conclusion you could draw based on how these images are portrayed. But I think it's referring to the very first panel of the next issue, which is Japan Submerged. Okay. I think. I have no idea, though. It's, this is needlessly inserted in here, and this reference here just makes no sense. So, moving on. To Nightcrawler's high adventure. <laughs> ear, ear. Yeah, so Nightcrawler gets really high and wakes up on a <laughs> beach. Um, no, he does wake up on a beach. I guess uh, while they're on the boat, before the inserted scene we just read, he and Storm were talking about how rough it is out there and how Nightcrawler keeps getting sick or something like that. Well, this this could not be before the scene we just saw. Well, I guess it could be. But I think it it's is. Probably not. I think it is. I don't know. I think the scene that we just saw is literally like right before the first panel of the next issue. So this is just sometime during the storm. Because the the last scene we just read was it's all sunny out and the birds are flying and there's clouds and stuff. And then, So this whole uh, story takes place before that last page. Yeah. This takes place okay. during the professor's retelling of his Farouk battle. Yeah, fair enough. I think... But anyways, yeah, so we're re-reminded that Storm can't control this typhoon. She can kind of, like, settle it down to make the experience a little bit more comfortable, but she can't, like, stop the, the storm. 
Where did they get their clothes? Storm was wearing like a sweater and some white pants and uh Nightcrawler's got a yellow shirt. Long sleeve yellow shirt and some beige pants. Ah, who knows? The the ship people are like, here you go. Get out of those wet costumes, put these on, I guess. So Nightcrawler is in his bunk, and uh, as they're sailing along, he's talking about how, how he's throwing up a lot. He sees somebody through the porthole of his room fall off the side of the boat. And he immediately, uh, despite his seasickness, teleports outside to catch her, which he does, uh, and then gets swept away by a wave. And after the wave hits him and the person that he rescues, he is unable to see the ship, so he can't teleport back to it. And they spend the night in the water until they um, wash up ashore. Mm -hmm. Her name is Miss Shimura. Yep. And uh, Nightcrawler is hoping that she hasn't drowned, I guess, her first name is Iko or Eco or something like that. Uh, Eiko, I don't, I don't know. Iko. Sure. Who knows? Yeah. And Our Japanese listeners should let us know how to pronounce that name. It's E I K O. There you go. I don't know if we have any Japanese listeners. Well, it's a good test to put I out hope there. So. so he Nightcrawler. He's doing some exploration. He realizes that this is not a, a coral atoll. It is an island. It's got a big mountain in the middle. It's got trees and stuff. He makes a joke about King Kong and hoping that he's not the one to discover it. He does uh, find some clothing along the beach, which leads him to believe that Miss Shurko Shimura is alive. And he heads to a flash, a glint of light coming from in the woods towards the mountain. He does some Tarzan through the woods, swinging on vines. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> he, that was terrible. He says and, that uh, he says that he can't teleport because he's tired or something like that. But yes, well, it makes. I mean, he can't really see where he's going either. So I just accepted that this made the most sense. Mm -hmm. So yes, he does actually say he's swinging Tarzan style. He can cover the distance in no time. Perhaps even catch. My gut. He sees an airplane. On an island. He's part of the lost people thing. <laughs> and the guy comes out. I, Have you even watched Lost? I've seen a couple episodes. There's a guy named John, play. and he's bad. That's what I know. You don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> there's there's an airplane, and there's drugs in the airplane. Actually, there's a couple of airplanes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there yeah. are. And there's That's a dude true. who's like keeps sneaking back there to get drugs, and I think they find some guns there or something. I don't remember. <laughs> I heard it was a big letdown, so I didn't watch any of it. it it's, it's, well, you know, people have different opinions about it. I, I thought it was really good, but. Okay. I think we've had this conversation before. But anyways. Um, we probably have. We've probably even had it on this very podcast. I think we have. We're told that it's the Madripoor Clipper, and I imagine that means something. Well, I think it's just a reference to Madripoor that Chris Claremont can throw in there. Probably. Just be like, hey, everybody, remember Madripoor? Well, this is tied to Madripoor. Yay. <laughs> there you go. Reference made. Moving on. So He goes inside of the plane where he discovers uh, several uh, statues of Mary with little bags of drugs inside of them. <laughs> See? Now that's a good lost reference. All right. He actually discovers a suitcase with uh, 
uh, clothes in it that happened to more or less fit him. It was one of the Hobbit guys that was hung, uh, strung up on the drugs, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, I know. Jolly. I know. You should really just watch the show. I watched two episodes. I know all I need. There's an airplane. There's a <laughs> Hobbit guy. The guy from Party of Fives in there. And the bald old guy who had the paralyzed legs. He's a bad guy. What else do I need to know? There's a kid that like gets taken away by, by the uh, Harold Perno who was in uh, Oz, who was in the wheelchair in Oz. but And then he disappeared from the store show. So I don't know how that happened. But, but I, He's actually not really a bad guy, but whatever. Well... What I it's more complicated than that. Sure. <laughs> you should just watch it. There's a lot of seasons and, and a lot of episodes in the seasons. We'll do a podcast about it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I can get criticized about not knowing my Lost history along with my X-Men history. We could know. do an episode by episode guide <laughs> to Lost. And I'll be the guy that has watched it. And you'll be the guy that hasn't watched it. Oh, that could be bad. <laughs> Well, anyways, in the chests, he does find some, like, um, what would you call these? Like, uh, uh, explorer clothes, basically? I don't know. Yeah, there's got to be a name for them. Like safari um, clothes. Like, when you go on safari, you put on these clothes with the boots and the gun, and, and, like, you have a little safari hat. What are these? What are the giant pockets in the sides of the pants for? I swear, like, safari outfit have, have those giant little hip pocket things i know but what are they for oh What's i don't deal i don't i have no idea what do they like what purpose do they serve i, I, I don't know adam <laughs> anyway he gets all dressed up safari explorer club eat your heart out he says he makes and then he sees the skull of whoever's clothes these are he presumes yeah Yep, and uh, he's scared. He falls backward, and it looks like uh, it was not a natural death. In other words, somebody probably killed him and put him there as a warning. And that's when a giant apey guy comes out and attacks Nightcrawler. He tries to fire his pistol, but it doesn't work. He gives a puffizzle. <laughs> puffizzle muzzle. <laughs> So he teleports and the bounces around, defeats the bad guy, uh, notices that he's wearing armor that looks like a mountain that mm -hmm. is somewhere on the island. So he bamps his way over to that mountain. Well, he's also wearing a life preserver that says Jinguchi Maru, which is the name of the ship that they were on. Right. It's uh, Aiko's life preserver. Correct. What does Maru kind of mean? a weird thing for this guy to be wearing. Is Maru Japanese for ship? Oh, maybe. Because, like, you got the Kobayashi Maru, which is based on a ship. I feel like Maru means something nautical. You could look it up. I totally could, but I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, yes, Nightcrawler climbs up on a tree, and he spots the very mountains that were on the guy's armor, and he teleports over there. Uh, there he discovers a ceremony which is going to sacrifice his friend, Miss Shimura, who is now only wearing a t-shirt and panties for some reason. Ooh, that's because John Bolton <laughs> likes to draw women like this. Probably. Uh, she becomes, she's putting up a fight, but then all of a sudden she becomes subservient, uh, meaning that the high priest who's going to kill her probably has some sort of mind control of sort. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's about to get stabbed 
when uh, Nightcrawler teleports in and the high priest says, Mahare Slaybone. <laughs> Do you have the translation up for that? Uh, I don't. But that was the name of my high school band. <laughs> Mahari Slazibon. Yeah. We didn't do very well. We we played one high school dance and we were asked to leave before we and ended our like, first song. WTF man. <laughs> we're just trying to rock. He punches Nightcrawler punches the high priestess in the face with a pow that has a star in the middle of the O, which is kind of corny. <laughs> he had, uh he bamps out of the way of the other two guards that are hit themselves essentially tries to wake up miss shimura but then the high priest is not unconscious and uses his mind control eyes to knock nightcrawler out mm-hmm. and he laughs <laughs> now they're both lying on the um sacrificial table uh the high priest begins to strip nightcrawler down to his panties <laughs> and oddly enough he looks really good in a pair of panties <laughs> no he doesn't actually do that he leaves his clothes on but he's getting ready to stab him uh, to sacrifice nightcrawler now when at the last second we get a sound effect only bamf and then we get a uh, what is that a skatact skatact that's as the... the guy brings his knife blade down into the uh, stone tablet that Nightcrawler and Miss Shimura are no longer lying on. So Nightcrawler has teleported uh, to a peak and he's hanging on to the peak, holding Miss Shimura up with his tail. Now, a couple of things I have a problem with. First of all, we've established that when Wolverine, I'm not Wolverine, when Nightcrawler teleports with another body, it usually leaves him so weak that he passes out. That really hasn't changed since the last time we saw that usage of the power. And the second well, thing he is... he mentions that. He says... Uh, he doesn't mention does he anything. Say? He says, don't don't scream. If you're scared, heights, close your eyes. Pretend this is only a bad dream. Oh, we wish it was. They uh, don't she know... Says, she says she feels ill, and he says, sorry about that byproduct of teleporting a passenger. It'll pass... If not for my training as an X-Man, never would have been able to resist the priest's mental control. So, I mean, he kind of glosses over that. And we know from, like, early 80s, mid-80s, at least I know from from that run of the X-Men, that when Nightcrawler teleports a passenger, if they're not used to it, it's it's nauseating to the passenger, but not to Nightcrawler. But in earlier issues of X-Men, him teleporting a passenger has basically left both of them uh, so weary that they pass out. So this is just kind of a, I don't know, doesn't seem to quite work. The second thing is this woman, I mean, she's thin and frail and everything, but she's got to be like 110 pounds, right? He's holding 110 pounds of this tail. <laughs> that just doesn't seem to be enough muscle in his tail to be able to hold her up. He works out with his tail. <laughs> I suppose. Ms. Shimura's like, what else can you do with that tail? Well, she kind of does because like... <laughs> He launched, well, first he says, hey, be quiet so that they don't know where we are. And then he launches a flare. <laughs> yeah. Like that's would, not going to make any I, noise. I would think that would kind of identify where they are. Uh, he sees a lightning bolt in a clear sky responding. So he assumes that storm and that they're going to be picked up shortly. And she says, however, can I possibly repay you? 
oh, I'm sure we'll think of something. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And they do it. <laughs> they don't, like this last panel is just like the raunchiest, nastiest scene of two people making love I've ever seen. I don't even know where his tail is going. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's actually, I'm a little offended actually. Uh, no, that does not actually happen. Uh, so we move on to the next page and we get a, uh, Art Adams. Oh, that was the end of the backup story, by the way. We get an Art Adams, um, interesting drawing. I, I like it, um, of Wolverine walking. It's kind of a shot from the tree down on Wolverine. Wolverine in his later costume that will come soon. I like how the shadows of the trees just look like a lot of pencil hash marks, I think is what it does it for me in this one. I like how there's a teddy bear in the snow. There is. There's a teddy bear's head in the snow. Well, there's also the body. Oh, yeah, there is. Okay. I've just seen... And there's like a big blood splat somewhere in between. There's a couple blood splats. So, I like it. Wolverine is tracking somebody. This is definitely a lot better than the Frank Miller from last issue. We also get a pinup of Wolverine, Nightcrawler, and Colossus hanging out in Japan. This one I don't like. It's sketchy. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's more of a sketch. And this one's by Chiarello and Williams. I don't know who those folks are. Uh, well, we can look. Uh, that would be Mark Chiarello and Kent Williams. Should I know who those people are? I I don't know who they are. <laughs> okay. I'm not an expert. Oh, okay. And there you go. Uh, interestingly enough, there's letters section in this issue. And to put it in perspective, these issues are happening as X-Men number 227 is happening. X-Men number oh. 227 being the third part of Fall of the Mutants. Yeah, I know that. I know my X-Men history. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. All right. Enough with all of that. Uh, so, yeah, if uh, I, I already gave all the locations. Uh, send us a note. Drop us a note. Contact us. Let us know what you think. Uh, but for the most part, I, I think that'll do it for us this week. Oh, I did some reading. Oh, you did? Well, then enlighten. Uh, I read Champions 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. Jeez. And I'm not going to summarize their entire plots because they weren't that good. Okay. But I will hi- I will I will go over some of the highlights, which is that uh Champions number 11, they fight some shadow demons and um Angel says, "I didn't spend all those years with Professor X without learning something about closing my mind to outsiders, and well I may not be nearly as good as Marvel Girl was." I'm still the avenging angel, and you've messed with the wrong champion. Mm. Just a little X-Men reference. Uh, Then at the end of this issue, which features uh, Hawkeye and Two-Gun Kid, or one of those cowboy guys that Hawkeye's still hanging out with, (laughs) uh, they discover that... uh, who, Who is this guy? Black Goliath, who I guess is the... Black version of Hank Pym. Are you kidding me? Black <laughs> no. Goliath? Yeah. Oh, He's a God. black guy with um, Hank Pym's powers. That's terrible. <laughs> Over here, uh, we've got yellow Goliath and <laughs> tan Goliath. Um, He's fighting Stiltman, 
who has got some sort of power uh, or some sort of box that will give him the power to become master of the world. And they fight off Stiltman and they get the box in the next issue. And then it turns out that the box is owned by none other than the Stranger. <gasps> Remember him? I do. He's back. He first uh, appeared in out... X-Men number 11. What's that? He first appeared in X-Men number 11. <laughs> Are you just throwing your facts, your knowledge? Yeah, at, at this point. <laughs> uh, he, uh, the, the Stranger gives some of his backstory about how he saw that the Silver Surfer respected humanity and that made him kind of wonder about whether or not he was wrong about how he feels about humanity and then a couple of people give up their lives. There's, I guess he appears in an issue of uh, Marvel Team-Up featuring Adam Warlock. Mm. And eventually he decides that humans aren't so bad. So this device that he created, which is the box that the champions picked up, well, he uh, he decides that he doesn't want to use it. But because the champions spent too much time fighting him, it gets unlocked in the first place. And it turns out to be this device that just grows and is going to encompass and destroy the entire Earth. Wow. Uh, so it continues growing, and Stranger says there's only one way we can beat this. And he sends them to... I don't I don't know where the heck they are. Some weird place. Uh, some alternate universe where there are monsters. And they fight Camo Thorn, whoever that is. So the, the Stranger's not like, man... Where's Magneto? <laughs> like I had him up on my planet and he flew away. Like he does not once <laughs> reference Magneto. <laughs> All right. Um, they realize that the the artifact that the stranger we're in champions number thirteen now. That the artifact that the stranger is looking for is actually on Earth. So they sent them over. To, he sent them to this dimension without realizing that. So uh, Dark Star, a new member who. Bobby now has a crush on and Bobby escape into this weird kind of negative zone where we learn that Bobby, that there's no atmosphere or there's no water in space. So uh, the only ice that Bobby is able to use is from his own body. So he creates a sphere around him that he can breathe inside from the ice that's on his body. And so he's like naked inside of his sphere. Wow. It's very strange. <laughs> okay. Uh, they manage to get back to the earth and tell the stranger that the artifact is on earth where the stranger is able to just reach over into the room and grab it. Um, it's in a closet in like Tony Stark's in a, or in a hospital or something, a broom closet in a New York city hospital. Randomly, I guess it's Thor's hospital. Okay, that's where Thor decided to put it. Is this is this Doctor Donald Blake Thor or? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So rather than stopping this uh, growing thing, they decide to make it grow so much larger that it engulfs the entire galaxy, and thereby becomes powerless. And then the stranger disappears. Then the danger is truly past. Farewell, farewell. You have taught me much about this human thing called courage. And then everybody, everything's okay. And then in 14 and 15, the champions fight Swarm, who is made up of a bunch of bees. 
um, is pretty lame. Uh, Iceman gets a new costume, which is a not just underwear anymore. He has a full body costume now. It's blue and white. Oh, okay. And we learn that uh, not only does Iceman's ice shield get destroyed by everything, but even bees can destroy it. Even bees. <laughs> Weakened by the heat of countless uh, minute living forms pressed against it, pressed pressed against it, uh, he he the the ice shield is destroyed by bees. So this blue and white um, one piece costume does it have an X on it or what is no, it? No, he's a he's a champion. Well, he's I know, but an, an X man. Yeah. It has a uh, it is similar to his X man costume, but no, it it does not have an X okay. on it. Well, it would seem to me that this would be the uh, forebearer of his, well, eventually uh, to be um, X Factor uniform, which will go on to. I I believe you are correct in that. It should also be noted that these are John Byrne's first Marvel issues, uh, eleven through fifteen. So he is credited for creating that new costume. Interesting. So these are not happening concurrently with what's going on in the X Men. That we're like. No, we're behind. still we're still trying to catch up to where we are in the X Men. I don't I don't know that we'll ever get there. That's fine. That's fine. There's so many things happening, and, and it gets it gets worse every issue. There's like three more. Adam, so that's we why might catch up. We might not. That's why I say you you you, you uh, I I admire your endeavor to try to follow the entire exploits of the X Men, but it's a huge undergoing. Yeah, at some point I'll get bored of it. <laughs> All right, then. Well, uh, we've taken up enough of your time. So until next time, the Danger Room is closed. <laughs> <laughs>